Hi, I'm Grant Dufresne, and welcome to Dufresne Ministries podcast channel. We believe that as you listen to this message, your faith will be stirred and you will be encouraged in whatever you are believing God for today. Stay tuned at the end of this message to find out more information about our ministry. I was raised in a home, really, that my parents, both of them were field workers, and they came out to California following the work. And they uh, established themselves here and they finally got, you know, jobs that, uh, you know, good pay and benefits and all that. So compared to field work, the work that they did anyplace else was easier, it was better, and it was enjoying, it was enjoyable. And so my parents taught us to put a value on things because they had lived a hard life. And, um, and they used to take us out in the summer for field work. And let me tell you something, that's hard work. And you don't want to do that for the, for your, you know, the rest of your life. And they had some, you know, some desires to, to better their life. And of course, in this wonderful country of opportunity, they were able to do that. My, one of my parents only made it to the sixth grade. The other one made it to the ninth. They said they would have loved to finish school, but they were not allowed to because they had to be pulled out to go and tend to the crops for the field work that brought money in for the family. So, you know, my parents never allowed us to uh, miss school. They never allowed us to get grades that were below a B. If you got an A or a B on your report card, you were okay. You got anything less than that. And they were not okay with that because they felt everybody had the potential to learn if they just gave themselves to the opportunity that they had. And they felt that they had a better opportunity than you and you should take advantage of it. And school wasn't to be out in the playground. School was to learn to make your life better. That's the value system that they put in us. And so it, with growing up like that, you know, my mother and my father, they were people to tell you quickly if you were veering off. If you thought you were something that you weren't, they notified you. <laughs> In my home, children were not, they were not to speak. They were to, you know, they were to be silent. Children are seen and not heard. And if you ever, which I did it many times, if you ever got involved in an adult conversation, they taught you right away that it was none of your business. And my father used to say phrases to me, which to me are proverbs now, very precious. He used to say something to me when I would try to put my, you know, my two cents in. He would say to me, you know, hey, he goes, Debbie, you don't show me nothing. So I don't want to hear what you got to say. You haven't even lived, so what do you got to say? This is the way my father talked to us. Like, you have no experience. So just follow someone that has experience. And I'm glad that I was raised like that because it taught me to follow people that are bearing fruit. I'm thankful for that. And when I got born again and I came into the local church that was going to teach me how to walk with God, how to follow his plan, how to live a life that was worth living, I became a student to that. And I valued that. And, um, and as I progressed, I realized that I'm never not a student. And so as we're here in another era in the things of God, 
God is saying things to us that we need for this era. And it would be a shame for us to neglect what he is saying to us through our teachers and our mentors and the voices that he's put into our life. Pastor Nancy came in August and she taught five nights at our church and really, uh, really spoke to us about some things that were, you know, that we've just been continued to feed on. And really she talked about, because we're going into, a, we're, we're endeavoring to secure land and to get land and build a building. Uh, we should have done it a long time ago. We're really behind time uh, because we got comfortable where we were at. And Dr. Frayne used to tell my husband, he says, you know, you're not moving out of here because you're just comfortable. And my husband would chuckle, but he knew it was the truth. He, and, and, and really, you can get behind by being comfortable. And, uh, and so really, after Dr. Dufresne exited Pastor Nancy, you know, I think probably the, the following year, 2014, when she came to the church, the Spirit of God through Pastor Nancy began to tell us that, you know, it was time for us to look at the things that God had said to us and to begin to take hold of them because they were not going to happen automatically. We were going to have to do something about it. And really what God was saying is, you know, you have really neglected what I've said and now it's time to get on it. And so really since 2014 up to now, we have been moving, you know, systematically uh, going towards what we should have been doing already. And so... Um, when she came in August, she began to talk to us about laying hold of really a life that we all should be living. And she said this phrase to us, and she said it several times, and I've just been, that's just been going over and over on the inside of me when she said, we need to give it an all-out effort. Give the word an all-out effort to lay hold of what God has, you know, provided for us. Because we're not living in the full provision of what he's given us already. And so when she said, you know, let's, you know, give it an all-out effort. I mean, that, that just went on the inside. And my daughters and I, we say this all the time. You know what? It's about an all-out effort. It's about not neglecting what we've heard. It's about taking what we've heard and, and rehearsing it and meditating on it. And, the, and this is what she was teaching us. But just that phrase, all out effort. So I, I've been uh, really going back to the fundamentals of faith with my church because of the direction that we're going for a, a few years now. But when she brought that phrase, all out effort, I thought, this is what we're going to center up on. Are we, uh, what we're looking at, these fundamentals, are we giving it an all out effort? And so um, last week, I had just kind of like one of those mama talks with my church. Because I began to notice some things, and I thought, well, if you think you're giving an all-out effort, <laughs> these things wouldn't be happening. So let me, get, let me give you a scripture first for mama takes off, because we don't know where she'll end up at. Um, Mark chapter 4 and verse 24 out of the Amplified Translation. It says, and he said to them, be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear. Yeah. 
will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. Now, that word to who hear doesn't mean that that are just, you know, that just hear the sound. It's to the one they described. More will be given to you who put thought and study to the truth that you hear. More will be given to you that put the thought and study to it. More will be given. So if we want more, it's up to us. It's up to us to take what God has said and put more thought and more study to what he has said till it gets on the inside of us and grabs hold. And once it grabs hold and it's released out of our mouth, you understand the word says it'll produce. So I'm looking around at some things that were going on and I thought there is no way that we're talking about faith and we're talking about an all out effort. We're talking about putting thought and study and people would be um, naive enough to think that they're giving an all-out effort. And see, this is what my mother would do. My mother, you know, if you, you know, made comments about the work that you had to do, like, you know, throw out the trash, you know, uh, wash out the garage. You know, we had a dog and, you know, we didn't have fences back then, so you had to keep the dog in the garage. And, of course, the dog, you know, if you didn't take him out on time, he'd make a mess. So you have to open the garage up and wash everything out. You know, keep everything clean. You got an animal, you know. Responsibility. But when you started to, you know, make any kind of derogatory emotional sounds or <laughs> any type of facial effects because of responsibility... My mother would quickly inform you that really you have an easy life. And as most parents do, they would tell you of what they had to do when they were your age. You know, my parents would quickly tell us, uh, you know, you're upset about taking out the trash. Well, let me tell you what I had to do at your age. You know, uh, my, my father, he has... Uh, his family was about uh, 12, 12 children. I think my grandmother probably birthed maybe 18 or 19. Some were maybe a twin and one died, maybe one. You know, there was a miscarriage, but there were 12 living when he was growing up. He said, in my house, we were lucky if there was one pair of shoes that fit somebody that you could go outside in. And you're complaining about throwing out the trash? We all had to work. He said sometimes there wasn't food on the table. And they would start to tell us all of this because they wanted to remind us that us balking at this little thing that we had to do with everything else that we had was no comparison. There was no way that we could say we had a hard life because you had to wash the dishes. You had to throw out the trash. It was not a hard life because we weren't in the fields every day from sunup to sundown, you understand field workers, when we used to go out in the grapes in the summer, my, we didn't have a washer and dryer in the house. My mom did laundry once a week. I mean, and so those work clothes, you had to put back on. You, we came home, took our work clothes off because they're all dusty from sand. You get in the shower, you, you know, you put your play clothes on whatever time you ever had to play. And then, uh, and then in the morning, you had to put your field clothes on back on because we didn't have 10 changes of clothes. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. We didn't have just one, but I mean, you know, you wore it for two or three days and then you got another one, but these are field clothes. And we only did that in the summer and that was enough. That was enough for me. Uh-uh. I said, no, that, that ain't it. I am not going to work in the fields. I don't want to work in the fields. But they gave us a little taste of that. And they had to do it their whole lives growing up. So when we complained or we acted ungrateful, they would remind us of everything that we had that they didn't have. And sometimes in my congregation, let me just talk about my congregation. Maybe you all don't, you know, deal with this. But sometimes in my congregation, I have to remind them with all of the good word that we have. Don't take it for granted and not do what you need to do with it because it's going to benefit your life. And so I said to them, I said, you know, I find it hard to believe that you're giving an all out effort to the things of God when you come to church and you're on your cell phones. It's hard for me to believe that you're taking in the word that I'm preaching when you're doing this. Now I sit next to people that take notes on a device so I know what that looks like. And how can you be looking at your phone when I'm talking? If we're reading a scripture, I can see you're down on your phone because you say your Bible is on your phone. But when your finger is moving like this, and sometimes the young kids, they're on, you know, with us, we, like, they're on the front row, but it's like a side row. So everybody can see that they're like this. And you're going, where did you get this? Where did you think that you could come to church and that you could devalue the things of God like that? How do you think you're making an all-out effort? But, but the young kids, they got it from somebody else. They got it from somebody that was older, that should have known better. And they're, they're, they're doing this. And you know, it's funny. See, when I was in high school, I was in history class, and there was this guy. He was kind of one of those all-around all nice guys. I think, I don't know what his dad was. Maybe he was a teacher. But you know, one of these people that were raised in a functional home instead of a dysfunctional home. He was just an all-around nice guy. You know what I mean? He, and so, in history class, you know, I, I don't know what, you know, he would, he would get maybe some notes from me and I would get some notes from him. But anyway, we kind of became friends. And so this is what we would do in history class right after lunch, the period right after lunch. We'd get a bag of those Doritos, you know, the real Doritos, the old Doritos, not all this stuff. The ones that, there were like taco flavored Doritos, the real Doritos. And I don't know if you ever remember the, the Oompas, uh, the Willy Wonka Oompas. It was half peanut butter, half chocolate. It was a big, it wasn't like a tiny M&M, it was big. And so, you know, we'd get this, and so we'd be trading back and forth, you know. Of course, we knew it was wrong. But we had enough sense that when the history teacher was talking and he turned around and he went that way, we would switch. And then when he turned around, you'd put this big chip in your mouth, but you wouldn't crunch it. you just let it melt there. Of course, we weren't in the front row. We were about five, five chairs back, and we were side to side. So we, you know, hey, oh, yeah, what'd you get? Hey, what'd you bring? What'd you, you know, so here we'd be eating, but very quietly. You know, not like somebody else go, and you, well, you go, oh, you're busted. And if the teacher ever got wind of it, and sometimes he did, you know, 
Miss Via, do you have something in your mouth? No, sir. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Did you have something in your mouth? Yes, sir. Well, what was it? A chip. <laughs> Did you bring enough to share with everybody? No, sir. Then I would, I would just appreciate if you'd put your chips away. You know. Okay. So, you know. Okay, we got busted. But you know what? We were doing something and we knew it was wrong. And we were not paying attention to that class. I mean, and, but we knew that. But at least we had enough sense to try to put it on, do it on the sly. Nowadays, people are coming to church and they're, and they're laughing while they're texting. I, and I said, church, please, please do not be deceived. When you come in here and you are not engaged in the service and you're on your cell phone or, okay, you're thinking about your work. You're thinking about buying groceries. See, you might not have a device out, but your brain's not there. You're, you didn't come in to lock and load and say, today my answer is coming. Today I'm going to get something that's going to help me. Today I'm going to get adjusted so that I know what I'm doing because somehow what I think that I'm doing is right is not producing. I said, listen, we have gotten so much good word on how to produce and to get farther along. But, but listen, if we keep these old habits uh, uh, of this casualness or this distraction, please do not think you're going to get out of what's being preached what you could get out of it because you are not regarding it. You're not putting the right premium on it. I say, you, you, you cannot do that. Anytime you come into a place where the word of God is being preached, you have to believe that that word is for you. It's specifically for you. It's going to answer something. It's going to help you. And then once you hear it all, it all matters what you do with it. If you cannot remember what was preached in a service, then you didn't get it. If you, did, if you don't go back over your notes and look at those key points of what was said, it, you know, you can hear and hear and hear and hear and hear and wonder why your application of the word is not working. But there's a reason why it's not working. Because we're really not putting that all out effort. Everybody comes in with stuff. Everybody comes in with the, the, the things of life. But we have to determination, make a determination. When I come to the place where the word of God is being preached, God is ministering to me. He is helping me. And I have to entreat that in a way so that it will produce in my life because it won't produce automatically. And I said, church, where we're going, we cannot go half-hearted. Where we're going, we can't go with just a casual mentality, just this, you know, this effortless, you know, way of thinking. These are the things that change people's lives. And I said, maybe 
you don't think that this is a, this a big deal or a big violation, except every one of us plays a role in the atmosphere of the anointing in a church. Every one of us plays into the atmosphere. And so if, you know, you've got three or four or five people that are, you know, disrespecting what's going on in the service, you might not think that's very much. But there were 12 spies that went out to spy out the land. And 10 out of hundreds of thousands of people, 10 affected those people. 10. Out of all of those people, 10 affected them not to go in. So what you do with the word is not only going to affect you, but it's going to affect someone else. And then I begin to tell them, now, you may have a measure of success. You may have a measure of success. And so maybe you think that this isn't that important. But storms come to everyone. And when you could have been being built up and prepared, something is going to come into someone's life at some time in your life. Something's going to come. And if you have taken that word and you regarded it, you're going to be equipped when something comes. You're going to remember. I remember one time I was putting on my makeup and all of a sudden there were just thoughts that were coming. And, you know, they were, it wasn't just a, just a thought. It's like you're waking up in a wave every day. And all of a sudden, I, I, you know, you're, you know, they're rolling around and all of a sudden from the inside of me came up, wait a minute, this is an attack. And then I thought, wait a minute. I've heard this. I've, I've been taught what to do. Pastor Nancy had come one time, and really it's like the Spirit of God said, do you remember when Pastor Nancy taught this? Yes. Go get that message. Now, she had been, she had taught it like a couple of years back. And I'm looking through, you know, all my, you know, material, and I'm looking for the titles because she taught us about when, you know, the, the, the disciples were on the sea and the waves got boisterous and they're saying, aren't you concerned with us that we might drown and stuff? And, and Jesus rebuked them, not because they felt the waves, not because they saw them, but because they changed what they believed. And so she said, when a storm comes, you don't change what you believe in that storm. And the minute... That the, you know, and don't get me wrong, it had been a couple of days. And th this, just this sinking thought, you know, some sort of doom and gloom of the future was starting to come. And, and you know, I would just try to ignore it. And it just kept coming. And then I finally thought, wait a minute. Like, this is, thought is with me all the time. That, uh, something's going on here. And then I remembered, wait a minute. This really is the beginning of an attack. And I better do something. And, of course, I remembered what she had taught, and the Holy Ghost reminded me actually of it. I went back, I got that, and I, that's what I started listening to. I started listening to that message. The devil's trying to get you to change what you believe. He's telling you this is going to happen. This, well, what if that happened? He's trying to get you to change what you believe. He's putting these thoughts, and then it became clear. Okay, he's trying to get me to change what I believe. Well, then, of course, now you understand this was, you know, before we really have been centering on answering it. Dr. Frank taught us 
don't take the thought sane. So I wasn't saying what the thought was. But I had to go back and listen to something. Now, I wouldn't have had that on the inside of me for the Holy Spirit to pull up if I hadn't paid attention to what was being said. If I hadn't remembered exactly where it was. Because what you get in you, the Holy Spirit can draw up out of you. And then in a time of need, that's your answer. What people don't get is we're getting answers for the future every time we come to church. We're getting these answers. You may not be in a situation today, but in a year you could be in a situation and your answer was preached. And then you already know. So I began as mama to say, listen, even if you've had some success, don't mistake that in thinking that I am, you know, giving it an all out effort because an all out effort shows up in every arena of your life. Every arena of your life. So just because you're not going through something, you come to church and you're treating the, 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 the service casual. You're missing something. When you're not paying attention, your full attention, you're going to miss something. It's like even watching people walk around. I am... One thing I am is I'm disciplined that I, when I come to church, I really try not to look at anything else. I don't try to look at movement, movement around my peripheral, nothing, even in my own church. People will say, well, did you see this? One time we had a guy run in off the streets, ran into our church. The police was following him, ran into our church, ran into the bathroom. Now, if anybody knows the way our church is positioned, like the, the, the platform's here, the door to the bathroom's over there. I mean, I'm sitting in the front row. This guy runs in with a backpack, he sits down, then he takes off and then he goes into the bathroom. Well, the police are circling, you know, and all this stuff is going on. And actually, Pastor, uh, Dr. Michael Jacobs was preaching at the church. I, I'm glued in on him. Then they're telling us about the police. I go, what police? <laughs> Didn't you see the guy, the drug guy with the backpack? What drug guy with the backpack? What happened? Why? Because I'm not taking my eyes off my answer. Now, don't get me wrong. I realize that that's the usher's job. It's your job. And literally, there's, but there's a door that goes out to the street. So when the police came, somebody came and opened the door. The police came and they took him out, you know, and arrested him. But he walked, ran right into the building. And everybody, mom, didn't you? No. Well, how did you not see it? Because you know what? When I come in, I'm glued at what's being said. And I'm not going to let any distraction. I mean, it could have been a, one of our children going to the bathroom. I'm not going to turn and look for them. Why? Because I need everything that's being said. I need my answer. And in this day and age, with all of this social media and all that, and it's, it's not bad. I'm not trying to say it's bad because it does wonders for the church when we use it the right way. But it can be a big distraction to take you away of some of the things of God when you're using it at the wrong time in the wrong place and in the local church. And really, we said, geez, do we have to, you know, put a bucket there and say, you know, like, you know, leave your gun at the door, leave your phone at the door. We're trying to get the blessing to you. We're trying to get you to see how to appropriate the blessing. 
so that you're not concerned about your life and living and wondering, how am I going to make it? What if this happens? What if that? We're trying to answer all those questions for you. We're trying to get you into a greater flow of God's abundance. And you're distracted. Thinking about something else. You, you, you have to determine when you come into the place where answers are being uh, fed to you, that nothing is more important than that answer. Nothing is more important than that answer. By taking notes, and I even reprimanded even our young people. I said, you know, I don't, I don't care how good you are at typing on this whatever. I don't really think you're taking notes. What happened to taking notes? What, what happened to, you know, really taking notes? For, I'm talking about young minds that need to go back and remember. It's like somewhere, I, when I got saved in 1982 and I got to the local church that my husband and I are pastoring now in, in 1983, everything was about your notebook. I have volumes of notebooks, of notes that I took of the revelation that was being fed to me. And I put a premium on it. And I still have notebooks. I can still go back. And get key points. Why? Because I'm putting a premium on it. But th this younger generation, if we don't rehearse these things to them, if we don't tell them, when you're trying to play a game or get the sports score, when you're in church, you had to leave on Sunday before the game ended. But you want to know, you can't wait till after church. Listen, you can go home and you, go, you know you have the game DVR'd. Why is it so important that you got to get that score right in the middle of service? Or text something funny that happened to your friend in church. Of course, I told them, this was last week, I said, now, it didn't just start. Mama just had enough of it. Because I had a minister at the church who was ministering, and he's operating in the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, and it's very accurate. And there was a little girl sitting right behind me, and her fingers were typing so fast. Now, when the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge is operating, unless that word is for you, you realize you should be engaged in the service with your faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You know, being involved in the service, and they're going like this. Of course, they, you know, they have a lot of issues. They need a lot of problems. And I mean, listen, if I didn't think it wouldn't have disrupt the Holy Ghost, I almost would have grabbed that phone from their hand and just thrown it on the floor. That's what I think about your phone when the, when the Spirit of God is moving. And so we have to remember these things because it's what we do with what is being ministered to us. That's going to make all the difference. And, and, and we have an assignment. Pastor Nancy said, this is your homework. All out effort. And, and with everything that we've been teaching, we've been saying, are we making an all out effort? Because we've got somewhere to go with God. And we want to get there. But we want to make sure that we're making that all out effort. You know, there was a woman in the Bible in uh, 2 Kings. And I, you know that scripture because I go to it many, many times. It's a woman that perceived the man of God. She was the great woman. 
When you, when you read the account of this woman that put a value on the prophet, and I love this account, because I think this is a, is a woman that wasn't filled with the spirit. But she recognized that this was a holy man of God, and she did something for him. And she got rewarded for it. But, you know, that didn't end the story when she got her son that she had been believing for, uh, her heart's desire. She got a, her heart's desire. Then a tragedy, tragedy came, lost his life. She stayed with the man of God. He got raised from the dead. But what I think is so key about all of it is in 2 Kings 8. In fact, let's go there. 2 Kings chapter 8. Because this is a woman that not only regarded the prophet as a holy man of God, but she listened to what he said. And boy, did it pay off. 2 Kings 8 and 1. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life. Now watch this. Arise and go with your household and sojourn wherever you can for the Lord has called for a famine and moreover it will come upon the land for seven years. Her regard for that prophet not only caused her to get blessings but to pay attention to what he said. I don't know if anybody ever really thinks about this. Can you imagine if somebody were to come, somebody, a voice in your life and say, let's just say this for an example. We know this isn't going to happen, but someone were to say to us, a prophet of God say, there's going to be, you know, an earthquake in California. You know, there's always threats of earthquakes, earthquakes in California, and it's going to hit here, here and there. If I were you, I would sell your house and I would move because you're right in the line of it. Now, think about this. How many of you have that much regard for the word of the Lord that comes from somebody seasoned that has fruit in their life? You understand he produced fruit because she had already seen the miracle. How many of us put in that situation, would we sell our homes or leave them and go stay somewhere else? You have to think about it. We're so attached to this natural living that It'd be something. But this woman did exactly what he said. And the results were phenomenal. Why? Because she put a premium. She put a premium on who he was, that he was a holy man of God. She put a premium on what he said. She put a premium on the anointing. She regarded it. And, and then she gets spared from something. So he says, go somewhere. And sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and moreover, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did as the man of God said. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. He said it's going to be a seven-year famine. At the end of the seven years, the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, and she went to appeal to the king for her house and land. The king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me all the great things Elisha has done. And as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and land. And Gehazi said, my Lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elisha brought back to life. When the king asked the woman, she told him, 
So the king appointed to her a certain officer saying, restore all that was hers. Paying attention can bring restoration. Following instructions, putting a premium on the word that's being preached, putting a premium on the atmosphere that's in a church and regarding it the way it should regard it, it's going to make all the difference in your life. Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land even until now. Retroactive she got back. I I go back over and over that because I think, what will we miss if we don't follow instructions that the Lord is giving us right now? The Spirit of God has been highlighting things and refreshing us on certain things right now so that we can cooperate and that cooperation is going to bring a benefit to our life that cooperation is not only going to bring a benefit to our life it's going to be a bring a benefit to other people's lives it's another thing that i i talked to them about i said do you understand that when god wants to move to minister to people our participation is important so maybe today while you're distracted thinking about something else or doing something else, that's, kind of, that's disrespectful to the anointing. What about someone that came and they were hurting? What about someone that came that were in physical pain? And there weren't enough people that were really in unity for God to move. What would it cost someone else? Because we didn't do what we should have done. Pastor Nancy was saying last night, one person, one person can be that doorway for the power of God to just what? So one person makes a difference. One person makes a difference. In pastoring, I know this for a fact. One person disgruntled. And working against the anointing, coming to service, every service affects the anointing. One person that's against you in the church or what you're saying, it affects the atmosphere. And when they leave, because they, they don't believe what you're saying anyway, when they leave, the whole atmosphere is different. So if one person working against the anointing affects the anointing, how about people just not regarding it? Being casual about it. We want to make sure, especially at this time, that we evaluate ourselves. Am I making that all-out effort by not allowing myself to be distracted, especially when I should be engaged in what God is saying and what God is doing? Because it's going to make all the difference in the world. Because we're getting our answers. we're, We're getting our answers. And I'll tell you, it's what we do with them that's going to matter. Amen. 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 Thank you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things that we 
I so appreciate that she brings that out because the danger of having an undisciplined attention in a service, what do you think your attention will do when a devil shows up at your house? See, the service is a practice place for practicing, holding our attention. You know, when, when we're under that corporate anointing, it's easier. It's easier because we're all supposedly going the same direction. And so when we have our attention on the right thing and we practice that, when, when the devil shows up in the middle of the night and bombards you, you have to know how. Faith is, no, faith is what you do with your attention. Your faith is connected to where your attention goes. And really, you know, that's what it says in Psalms 23. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of what? Enemies. What you do with your attention, where is it? Uh, the, the table, the table is to hold our attention. What, what's the table? The table of the word, the table of God, of what God says to us. Our attention has to be there. But if we can't pay attention when a man is talking to us, what do you think when a demon is bombarding? See, these, spirit, these spiritual things that she's talking about have to be practiced practice so let's allow let's allow no more undisciplined in, in in these kinds of settings because it's going to determine how we respond in the nighttime hours and how we respond when there's pressure on the mind dad hagan used to say he made a statement on, on one tape in particular because you know if you're born again you don't have a devil in you that's not possible to have one in your spirit one can attach itself to your body but that's not the real you and he said can a christian get a demon in their mind and then he said this yes if they listen to him well how did you listen you gave me your attention all of this goes back. This is what she's talking about is such a broad, such a, such a broad application because it affects so much. And she, thankfully, she's talking to us and saying, practice here in the anointing because if we don't, if we don't have skill at what our attention does in the anointing, we're, we're at a disadvantage when the devil shows up in the middle of the night. Amen. Bad spiritual habits will put us at jeopardy. But good spiritual habits will safeguard us. And I tell you what, can I tell you what the spirit of fear is? <laughs> uh, when it shows up, you better know how to ignore it. You better know how to answer it and then turn your back to it. And that's what Jesus really, he taught us on several occasions. He turned his back. To men who were saying the wrong thing because they were being used by the enemy. What was he showing us? He knew how to put his attention. And he, he did a physical, he took a physical action to show. That's how firm I am in my, in my attention. Amen. Now, it probably won't be a good thing for you when you're at home and your spouse and you're getting in it and you go. But... He was doing a natural act to demonstrate a spiritual action he took. Amen. And basically what she's talking about is she was talking, articulating, especially for a service. But this goes so much further. If you get what she was talking about, it will affect everything outside of service. Amen. 
Hallelujah. I, I, I remember uh, listening to a man on television. He was telling, it was a historical documentary, and he was talking about how he was working with a very famous scientist from around the earlier turn of the century. And uh, he said this scientist ended up with mental issues and got off and, uh, mentally. And he said, while they were, he was under such pressure on this one, one uh, thing that they were working on. And uh, he said that this man that had gotten off, it, it, because he was a genius in his field. And he said, I was just his aide, so to speak. I, he was a young man working with this older man who was so regarded in his field. And he said, one day, this man came into the, the, the science lab where they worked. And he said, last night, he said, a being came in my bedroom. Now, he wasn't born again. He said, a being came in, and he said, this being talked to me and said, I have your life because I have your attention. See, he, he didn't say, I'm after your mind. He said, he didn't say, I'm after your family. I'm after your future. He said, I'm after your attention. Why? Because if the devil gets your attention, he can have anything else. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Debbie. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. We trust you've enjoyed this message. Visit us at defrayministries.org to learn of our upcoming meetings, share your testimony, become a partner, or visit our online store. This program has been made possible by the friends and partners of Defray Ministries.